Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, beautiful human. Thank you so much for tapping on our conversation with Mountain Joy. These guys are so incredibly special. Their music is so good. I want to talk folk music. I want to talk life. There's so much on my agenda here. Plus, they're on a sold-out tour right now. Mountain Joy, if you want to see them, you can get tickets. It's very, very possible. Anyway, subscribe to our podcast, share it with those you care about, and enjoy our conversation with Matt from Mount Joy. By the way, hello, beautiful human. I was looking for the camera. Uh, uh, I'm Zach. That's Dan. And this is Matt from Mount Joy. Hey. Hello, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there is... Art has a way of influencing the world, whether it be through fashion or music or the visuals through a video or... I mean, this day and age, like, there's so many different ways to market something and influence people, whether it be through... like. I don't know, for some reason, Doja Cat and, like, the Mexican pizza came to mind. That's, like, the ultimate influencer move. Right. But done through the main vehicle, which is her music and her art and her personality. But some artists just naturally exude, whether it be through mystery or whatever, it could be either, like, mystery or total, like, just exuberance and just forward-facing, outward-facing stuff. They like, there's this like this je ne sais quoi, this like thing that you can't even necessarily touch, but they're just, they're there, you know? Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's, you know, literally at a certain point in the project, you know, the Mount Joy project, it's like you realize that there's more to, potentially more to like than just making the music, playing the songs, whatever. There's this thing where, you know, I think the like really, important aspect of what you're describing is like people say things to you that are like shocking right like this whether it's like a family member who's passed away or like these things where like your influence on them is like super important to their story and and i think when you talk about like doja cat and these people who are like influencing at such a mass scale like inside of that influence is like a super important connection to people's lives and then you see it on this huge scale where they can sell Taco Bell, right? Or they can like they can influence you to to do things, and 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 those things are typically like seen from the public perspective at a mass scale as like marketing, financial gain, whatever yeah. it is. But I do think at its core is something really important that trickles down to artists of all sizes. You don't have to be Doja Cat to be having a major influence on somebody's life or having an impact on somebody who 
otherwise would be in a, a worse place without you or without your art, without your music. And so, I mean, I think that's the thing that I'm after, that we're after, that is like, you know, whatever scale it gets to is just like, can you have a positive impact on someone's life by like making music, which is like, it's innate to me. It's something I, I just do automatically, right? So that's the dream. You, your story is rather interesting because it's you and one core collaborator. Is that correct? Yeah. So my um, my friend Sam Cooper, uh, who I grew up with outside of Philadelphia, um, him and I started this and kind of basically had some songs. We were out here in Los Angeles um, working other jobs, doing the sort of night shift of writing songs or whatever it was. And um, eventually, long story short, just had a song that we were, we were showing people and we were like, this it was a goofy song about Jesus driving an astrovan. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's a great record. And um, you know, once we had that, we realized we needed a band, and so we kind of put together the band after that. And but you knew each other, and then you go your separate ways for years. Correct. Yeah. So I wrote songs with Sam in high school, um, and he was he was a couple of years older than me, so he went off to college, and you know, it's just like. Um, basically didn't hear from each other for probably three or four years um how'd you reconnect you know we would like still send it wasn't like a we didn't have like a falling out or anything but you know just went to different schools and um would send each other like songs and stuff occasionally but he moved i moved out here to follow um my girlfriend at the time and i'd been here for like six months got a text that he was like i'm moving to los angeles he had quit his job he actually was an attorney he had just started working as a lawyer and hated it, um, which feels like a classic story. And um, he was like, I'm moving to L.A. After, oh, he was trying to be like an agent. Like he was like, I'm going to use my law degree to be an agent. Which a lot of like that makes sense. Like yeah. there's a lot. You got to read a lot of contracts. Yep. It made some sense at the time. But he comes out here and long story very short, he's hating it. He's hating. I forget what agency he's working for. But he's hating it. He's like somebody's assistant and he's just getting the dog whip and it's terrible. And we just had this, I think the circumstances gave us the drive. You know, it was like, we got to get out of these jobs. I was like doing data entry for actually for a company that like collected royalties for artists uh, on streaming services. So I was literally like, you know, they had the thing where you had a, a couple 10 minute breaks, but it was like you had to get a certain number of like keystrokes like it was like they were measuring your just Oof, you just geez. had to just go and just go go go, go robot go. literal robot stuff i didn't smoke but i would take the smoke breaks because i would just stand there and be like <laughs> oh you know roll your neck around and stuff like that um that's hey, actually hell it's hell it's literal hell uh we're up in deep up in the valley it's it's literal hell it's 100 degrees <laughs> um you go outside you want to be inside um and yeah that just that just built the hunger i think to just write right right and yeah, that was kind of the start of survival. Totally. Was Astrovan written after you guys reconnected, or was it written before? Like when you guys first, like when was that written? Yeah. So um, that's a good question. I think I ha I had written it. Um, it was really a joke. Like I was living with my girlfriend in LA, doing all that, and um, I just the joke was, you know, that I was going to try to do the music thing. Um, and I was convincing my girlfriend who was like, she was super smart. She was like on her way to med school. She was gonna be like this 
high achieving person. I'm like inputting data in the valley somewhere. <laughs> uh, my previous job was at a restaurant. Um, and I'm telling her like, I'm going to be a musician and I'm realizing like, this is not a good sell. And so the joke of Astrovan was like, look, like chicks really dug dig Jesus and he was a carpenter. Um, you know, like uh, the, the line is, I don't want to see those tears again. You know, Jesus drives an Astrovan. I was just thinking of, um, a, like a, what would a carpenter drive? And I was thinking like a, a big white van and yeah. Astrovan came to mind. So it was really just this joke and I had a turn of phrase and, and I'd be like, come on, like singing it to my girlfriend. And then you kind of realize when you're a songwriter, I feel like, and I've heard like actually in the Beatles documentary, they were talking about this. It's like the things you don't need to write down that you're walking down the street four, five, six days later and you're like, I don't want to see that. And, and you're thinking to yourself, it's stuck in my head six days later. I, I've got it. It's some, There's something about this. So, then, you know, I just sort of like continued down that path, wrote that song. I think at that point I was, Sam was here um, and it would just be a thing where I'd be like, hey, I got a thing, you know, and I would share the voice note and um, he's always been really good at just sort of like taking an idea and being like, you know, I have the structure for it and he's, he's good at being like, uh, maybe move this over here, something like that. And yeah, next thing you know, we recorded it. We went on Craigslist um, just to find a place to record it because we, you know, we didn't have a ton of resources and we found Caleb Nelson. Well, first we found our basis, current basis. Yeah. On Craigslist. Yeah. Um, and he was like, Hey, my roommate, um, which is crazy. Like just the way things sort of, when they finally work out, I had been in other bands that had failed and it's just the feeling of like when things work out, it's like when you're like playing a video game. I don't know if anyone plays video games, but just like you're just slaying. Like things are just working. Like all of a sudden, it's like the boss is easy to beat or something. Um, they fall into place. Exactly. And so we hit up Michael on Craigslist, which like still seems like a joke when I say it, but then he he's great, obviously, incredible bass player, um, and he's like, hey, my roommate up in North Hollywood is a talented producer kind of looking for a shot he can record it in in our in our apartment in north hollywood we were like shoot we'll do it um and caleb just produced our third record like you know this the rest is history like um we we made it in his bedroom i was super allergic to the cats they had so i was wearing when i recorded astrovan i was wearing sunglasses and like a a hooded sweatshirt like pulled over because i was so allergic to the environment um but yeah it's just been a wild ride sold the vocals though yeah <laughs> it worked yeah that is i mean the, the, you know when everything does fall into place but wh- where'd the name come from and how did that like did you have the title the name before you had the song uh you mean the name of the Mountain band joy yeah uh so sam and i like i said we grew up together sam uh lived uh there's a park where uh, literally where Sam lives called Valley Forge National Park, um, and in Valley Forge National Park there is Mount there's a, a Mount Joy and there's a Mount Misery, and technically Sam's house I think is on Mount Misery and we used to go up there and <laughs> write songs and you know record we had a little like his brother had like this little like four track thing that we would make goofy songs and you know that's really where we got our start and like where I really like learned how to record and all that fun stuff. Um, and so we wanted to like pay homage to that, but like Mount Misery was like a totally different kind of band than what we were making. So we just sort of fudged it a little bit, you know. Was folk always this genre, the sound that you were trying to achieve? Um, that's a good question because I think it was 
when you're a singer songwriter like i was coming out of that world i just always had an when i was growing up acoustic guitar was the thing i sort of um wrote on and it still is um but i you know i grew up listening to 60s 70s folk revival stuff like i was really into bob dylan um paul simon you know like um Joni Mitchell like you know like just the stuff I feel like I wanted to make stuff like that I guess but now it's funny because I I once you start making things it's like you want to make new things you want to you want to not be like pigeoned into any one hole I guess which I don't think is how you say that expression <laughs> um but uh so I I guess the answer is yes and no like now it's like I just want to make weird and fun and whatever comes to mind type stuff but i realize like the industry does do a thing where it's like especially in this day and age where it's like you know you find yourself on like the pretty folk playlist or whatever it mm -hmm. is but and then you know but is it okay to like not do that anymore i don't know you know we'll see. it's interesting because like i do see folk as a genre but like the folk records that i'm aware of are folk songs that go mainstream and you can make the case that some of those records are pure folk. You can make the case that they are kind of an in-between. But also, like, some of the greatest, like, songwriters of all time, like a friend of mine, Skylar Gray, is, she's extraordinary. Like, yeah. Celine Dion, Dr. Dre, Eminem. She was a folk, like, she grew up around folk. She started as a folk singer. She started writing folk music. Which I also think people get confused when they say, like, singer-songwriter could also be confused as folk. But there's a difference between the two. Yeah, you know, I think of folk music as, like, storytelling and, like, um, maybe not as, like, um, pop. Uh, I mean, I guess there can be... Structure or... Yeah, like, I think of it more in a way as, like, maybe, maybe when you're goal or your intention which is totally fine i love pop music but when your intention is to um create a pop song i feel like yeah you have a certain structure in mind um you also maybe have a certain like maybe it's storytelling within pop music of course too but because of the structure your your ability to you know to be off the wall is a little bit it's a little bit harder within the you know, you're in a box for, yeah. for the most part, which is cool. And, and there's so so much amazing music made that way. But I just think of folk music as sort of everything else that's like, I'm going to tell you a story about Mr. Jones or whatever it is like. And you sort of get to um, write in sort of the, there's a tradition of folk music and, and that has its own structure too, of course. But I think of it as sort of everything else that's not um, super pop structured and, and now pop has such a specific production i guess it always has but that's an element of it too you know you have acoustic guitars and um and instrumentation matters i think for folk too and an approach like it's really hard nowadays i think to like figure out what genre is what and i i think that's ultimately a good thing but you know. i agree with that because like i can make the case that like folk music can go pop like noah khan season of the sticks just yeah. comes to mind right now that is jumping up playlists yeah I mean, I don't know if it's doing a million streams a day. I don't know if it's going to translate into FM radio. I don't know if they're going to work it at pop. I mean, they should work it at hot DC. They should do something with the record. I don't know if it's going to go pop, but it could be a pop record, but you could also categorize it as folk. Yeah, Noah's a friend. I'm super pumped for him, but that's a great example. Like, I think Noah actually, like, 
he has sort of like a split he splits his music where he writes intentionally like pop leaning stuff and then he has sort of like a folk career of which it would be so perfect and to what we're talking about if like his folk leaning his biggest song was one of his like folk leaning things which that is? went pop which is great and i mean like, season of the six would you consider that a folk song yeah i, I think so i you know i i, I yeah yeah I, and but i think that you're getting at this thing which is just that which is really important which i think is that for a really long time between radio format and um just the way labels approach marketing various types of music uh it was very clear what everything was and you have like things that go to pop radio that sound a certain way but i do think with all of the social media TikTok, all of that stuff now it's like the people's access to things that move them is immediate and and things move outside of radio and stuff like that in a way that i think it's like yeah noah wrote a, a folk tune that mentions vermont and sticks and <laughs> and things that feel very earthy and folky but also creeping on your mom like it's like it's <laughs> the perfect balance yeah and and but then you know people are drawn to it and there's an immediate reaction on the internet to it and so it's so it is a pop song because it's popular right but by the uh, lumineers ho oh, hey i can look through history and like tap into a few there's not a ton of examples but like they definitely exist right but you know it, it, it's i don't i'm trying to wrap and i've been preaching this for like a long time many many moons i understand that there's a structure to a pop song but at the end of the day pop music has a duty to be a kind of i don't flywheel's not the right w phrase but like a bucket of the most popular records across all genres like whatever is emotionally moving you and then moving the needle that should be what pop music is keeping it to structure just doesn't make it actually doesn't do the the format or the genre justice yeah totally and i think the to be clear like mount joy songs and the vast majority of folk songs that i think people would think of when they think of folk songs they have a structure yeah. and it's pretty similar to pop structure totally. I think where it where it differs is often like you know you have a bob dylan song that like you know you listen to a pop song on the radio there's probably a max of two to three verses you get your pre-chorus bridge whatever but uh, the only difference with a bob dylan song which has all of those same ingredients is he might do five verses <laughs> and at that point it's not going to play on the radio it's four and a half to five minutes long but he's decided that he's going to go outside of the sort of numbered structure of a pop thing but it's still very much he's got his chorus maybe yeah, it's still pop yeah for sure i mean you think taylor swift helped kind of grow this i guess a, a younger audience for pop for folk music when she released evermore and or is it evermore is it folklore? folklore and evermore two of them yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean but i think she's probably like playing into this thing too because i i like i I guess the Noah thing is a great example, and yeah, I mean that that was a huge record. Like I'm thinking specifically, I think of folklore that, like, right in the pandemic, it was like mm -hmm. everyone was listening to that record, and um, but I, I think it just speaks to this thing where I think there's been a lot of money and resource put into pop music and and music of a certain kind and artists of a certain sort of flavor of music, if you will. But I, I really think that if that same investment were made into some of the really talented people, you know, that that record was made with um, the Desner twins or one, one of them who is uh, they're in the National, mm -hmm. which is a great band. Um, 
And I just think like those types of people, um, if given the same investment as like The Weeknd or something like that, who's also incredible. This isn't about like whether The Weeknd's better or worse than anyone else. It's just the amount of resource um, Pepsi commercials for, you know, eight weeks in a row hitting you with that song. I, I bet I could find songs, you know, that if I hit the the American um, public with, with with that level of frequency, oh. that I could make it a, a big time hit song of the like of the weekend. Mm-hmm. Same whether it's Season of the Sticks or whether it's a Taylor Swift totally. song. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, if it gets if it gets synced up to a huge campaign, or if it, I, I mean, literally, there's so many different. If it gets the right cover on a playlist, if it gets the right you know, purchase spins on a radio station in the right day part with the right... There's so many different... Yeah, 100%. By the way, everything is attached to money. Almost everything. Yeah. I think listeners should, should, should realize that when they're when they're diving in, like, you know, and this is not like a plug for Mount Joy or anything like that, but if you were to look at, like, what a label is going to spend on a Mount Joy marketing campaign versus what a label is going to spend on a... And rightfully so, because the ROI is there, right? Like, I'm not saying, this is not me complaining, right? It's just that, understand that that music, they're spending in the millions to market this as though it's whatever, you know, a a car or something that, you know, like a big-time BMW or something versus, like, you know, what makes maybe music that's less heard by the sort of mass um, audience. I, I think it's just, like you said, it's often just money. But are you... So knowing that, and I want to get into your body's work because you have two out there. Three. Three, I'm sorry. But Rearrange Us and Orange Blood are the one I'm the most familiar with. Um, you're also about to embark on a tour. Do you have aspirations or goals to take... Uh, mainstream is the wrong phrase, but like, what are your... Better question is, what are your goals and aspirations for the music you're making? Understanding how the game is played. Yeah, so that's like a big part of it. Is like we've gotten this education over the last five or six years in the game. You can play it though, hundred percent, and you can play within the rules and still come out on top, hundred percent. And so I think for us, it's it's really about from the beginning. We felt like I mean, remember what I said like when we were like felt like everything was locking into place. We feel like we have a really special thing and we get that feedback. You know, we sell, in what is, in my opinion, a lot of tickets. Like, uh, you're playing the Palladium next week, dude. Yeah. And um, and that's something we're really, really proud of. But I think it's also, um, for us, it's just proof that we can, I don't know what the limit is. You talked about like mainstream. I don't know what the limit is for our band, but the goal is very, there's like this clear focus of just like, as many people as we can bring into this, as many different types of people, listeners of different types of music, um, we just have lucked into this thing where, you know, we have from a live perspective and then on the records, like we have truly incredible musicians in our band. Like some of the best musicians in the world, period, are in this band. And that's like something I feel really confident in. So then you're just like, you're in this crusade to just find as many people to get in front of because whether that's, you know, us selling out or whatever that is, is like that's just like not even a concern at all to us in the sense that it's like we feel like we have this thing that works, that's honest, that's 
everything you would want in a band is like okay we've got this great thing now just go get as many people in front to to, to hear it um and so that's really it. it's just this clarity of that it's not like we're not trying to be niche or cool or whatever mm-hmm. anything like that or like the we joke about the idea of like selling out or something like that because in our world of like indie rock or whatever there's this it's dying which is great but there's this really funny paradigm of being a sellout because you are essentially having like success yeah and you use the word mainstream it's like mainstream success but like think about what mainstream means it's like it's just like regular people are hearing your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like who wouldn't want that? Like who who wouldn't who wants like some guy who is like very specific about what he likes and is here today gone tomorrow and is very critical. Screw that. Like I want regular people like me to be like this is dope. I like this. That that's the goal. You guys have some weird uh pre-show things that you do. Do you still do a chant where you scream dad? done your research um we do uh that dates back (laughs) why i you know like part of it is we're just weirdos and but i can tell you it dates back to um we like i said we had the song astrovan and right after that there's this moment where i remember like from a movie i'm like walking down the street i got a um living in la at the time i get a random phone call and like again you're in this weird mode where you're like, I got to pick this up. No one picks up random numbers anymore. And I, I, I didn't either at the time, but it was like from Texas and I pick it up and it's, it's good. I did. It's someone being like, Hey, I know this is crazy, but I just, um, the manager at the time of the head and the heart, I guess had just heard Astrovan or something. And they were playing the Greek theater. It's like from a movie. And he's like, it was like maybe four in the afternoon and you know, I had a job and everything. And he's like, can you be at the Greek theater in like two hours? Um, not to play, but like people want to meet you and, and this and that. And I'm like, who the hell? You know, like, <laughs> how is this happening? <laughs> things just started happening. Like, things started happening. Not that we were like blowing up or anything. No, but they but continued to fall into place. Exactly. And so the story of the DAD thing is that we just got thrown into this blender of like, you know, everything you're doing, you got the butterflies like, all right, like, we're going for it. And we got um, a show at the Mercury Lounge. You know, shortly thereafter, through after meeting management and everything like that, and um, we were so nervous. Like we, it felt like we've played big shows since then, Red Rocks, done these things. I have never been that nervous for a show in my life. Like to the point where you're like, I got to get my hands to stop shaking so much. Or I'm not gonna be able to play guitar. <laughs> and we were all sitting together in the back of the mercury lounge we're like we got to do something really weird to just like we gotta do something weirder than what we're about to do and someone just started chanting dad like like dad and we all just started <laughs> doing it and it was this really weird thing um i don't know i've made the joke that like maybe there's like dad issues in the band and like at our at our darkest most nervous moment they just started pouring out or something but um but no i, I and then you know it just became a funny tradition and it's really really funny because now we're like a little less nervous for the shows I guess and and we'll bring people in like you know like sometimes there's people side stage and they see us kind of walk up and we always do it right side stage and just kind of do a hands in kind of thing and we'll bring people in and we'll be like get in here and we usually do a thing now where it's like you know we'll do the dad someone will give a little bit of a toast you know like and we'll find someone who's like nervously standing side stage like get over here give us a speech and they're like uh <laughs> you know and then the next thing they know they're chanting dad and away we go it's pretty silly needed to yeah. start the show. 
Yeah, it's good. Like, I think so much of it is, like, we're sports fans. Mm-hmm. Some of us, at least. Not all of us, but... And being in a band, it, it is... Like, I grew up playing sports. It is, it is very similar. Like, you have this thing where you're going out to to compete in in some sort of way with yourself sort of to to try to be better than the last show or uh, we do like a lot of improvising um in our show so like you know there are nights where you you, you're on fire and like collectively you're on fire and and so that like pre hands-in thing is sort of like a moment where it's like here we go like let's go do this together and let's go let's let's go make some make some memories you really can't improvise as musicians without really deep musicianship and chemistry Right. Yeah. No. And something when we're just here, I'm here actually rehearsing for this tour, and you know, we just we essentially practice by improvising and and working together and trying to find things. And yeah, it's it's not something we always did because in the beginning, um, I think there there, and pop music is sort of has dancing, right? Like the live show for for pop music is is often really about incredible dancing theatrics theatrics incredible dancing i was such a, uh, on this last tour i saw dua lipa mind-blowing just yeah. like but the performance outside is pretty much the song that you would hear on the radio with incredible dancing mm-hmm. um really choreographed dancing um but then you get to this like folk music stuff that we were talking about and the thing that i think is pretty limited about it is it's typically not like great dancing <laughs> right you don't see like white dudes with beards like doing splits but but um but what you get is is more of what i call like talent show yeah um live performance which is often incredible you get great live harmonies you 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 know some some good playing maybe but it's the songs right it's the songs you heard on the record um being performed live maybe there's some confetti or something i don't know but that's pretty much it right and i call that like talent show performing and that's what we were for like two or three years because you're just trying to get really good at playing the songs live but then you achieve that and it's like for us it's like that thing of pushing and showing like you know that hey i just said on this that we have like some of the best musicians in the world so how do you prove that yeah flex you flex and you play and you show that like when we're in rehearsals and we're playing like some of these licks that people are playing are like ooh, (laughs) and but they're not that's not part of the record and so how do you bring that in and so the last like you know maybe even the last like year it's a little scary because you're like, all right, we're going into this. It could bomb. And for the most part, to us, sometimes it does. But as a fan, like, don't see it. seeing people like, you know, our piano player is incredible. Jackie McLeod, incredible piano player, um, classically trained, and can just shred blindly all over a piano. But she'll have nights where she comes in and she's like, I'm so sorry, guys. Like, I, I, I just blew that um, phenomenon jam. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, because from my perspective, even as yeah. like a trained musician, I'm like, she's flying all over the keys, but she feels like somewhere in that she, you know, hit a, a note that's outside the key and it was kind of a bummer for her. Like, and it bummed her whole thing out. But that's the, the ceiling of it, I think. And I'm rambling here. It's just that, like, and it, for the audience, then it's like the talent show thing plus, right? It's like you get this unique experience. And we're really we're really pushing towards that. So no two Mount Joy shows are the same. It's getting that way. Sick. You know, I think um, I think that's a that's a goal of ours, um, and and it's getting that way. It's kind of like with John Mayer, and then with Dead and Company do too. A hundred percent. And like I said, one of my or I didn't say this, but there's a tie to uh, 
Grateful Dead? Yes. Yeah, we started covering, um, honestly, really our entrance. I'm a big Grateful Dead fan. I just, um, my dad was a deadhead, and I just, like, grew up with it. I didn't even know until I was, like, whatever, 15, that there was, like, a, there was, like, a whole thing around the Grateful Dead, you know, smoking pot and, and this and that. And a lifestyle. Yeah, exactly, lifestyle. Um, and then, you know, you sort of realize that and a lot of people are turned off by that which i i deeply actually get but because you're either with that or you're not or whatever <laughs> you're either with us or against <laughs> us <laughs> yeah it feels that way like even within music like i'll i'll sort of like somewhat sheepishly be like oh i'm like a big grateful dead fan and some people are like oh, i hate the grateful dead and i'm like they're they're a polarizing band i think yeah, but by the way like they also like people would tour with them fans like they would give up swaths of their life totally to just live it it's remarkable. They're, they are um, maybe my, like, when I think about, you talk about learning the game, you look at what they've accomplished outside of the sort of um, music industrial complex, if mm. you will, outside of that zetgeist, they've got, you know, just people on the NBA sideline wearing Grateful Dead shirts. They've, they've dipped into every aspect of, of culture um, without any real hits, mm-hmm. what they—it's crazy. What they did is remarkable, and it's proof that you have this music industrial complex, which is super important, right? I'm not like here shitting on that, but it doesn't need to be your path to the top. It is a a thing that can give you rocket boosters and really help you get there. But I think what they proved is that ultimately, and I really, really believe, like now more than ever. And we're so locked into our phones. What people love about that, or what some people love about that, is that is a put your phone in your pocket and let these people, let these masters of their instruments take you somewhere for an hour and mm. a half. Let you be present in a moment um, that is about a unique experience, too. So I, that's something that I look up to a lot. That's art and community. 100%. And, and 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 those people are following it around in part because you can think about the talent show thing I'm talking about. You're not going to go see a band six times that does the same, same set list, mm-hmm. and at the same moment the the, the confetti <laughs> shoots out each night. And at a certain point, that's the definition of insanity. Yeah. Um, it is. Yeah. <laughs> By three or <laughs> yeah. two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so what they're doing is they are creating for themselves. Also remember because there's the monotony of doing that. Where yes. it's Like here come the confetti. You know, like by the way, most artists that can actually withstand touring from a mental health perspective are the ones that change the show up every night or the ones that like have loose cues, but like vocally can do whatever the fuck they want because they're not beholden to a track. Totally. And and look, my goal is not to like slander people who are doing that type of show. There's a beauty to that, too. And like there's a lot of like um, skill that goes into that. I just think for me and for, for what we're doing and the way our band is constructed with like great players and. Um, people that like the Grateful Dead and stuff like that, it, it, it sort of is a natural path for us. And it's also like keeps it fresh and it's a challenge and it's, gosh. Totally. And and I think you're seeing more people do it. And I also think, um, you know, we're not the only ones obviously doing it. And, and like whether it's Billy Strings or there's a band Goose, like you have people selling tickets in a way that's like there's something happening there. And I think it's really mm-hmm. beautiful. And I, I in part because... And Sam and I were talking about this the other day on a ridiculous train ride from San Diego to L.A. right after Comic-Con. Um, 
ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> the most ridiculous train ride maybe of my life. But, I mean, uh, just a bunch of weirdos on it, right? Well, yeah, but they had overbooked the train by like a hundred people. Whoa! And so, no, like, we didn't have a seat. Okay, this is not like a subway ride. This is an hours-long journey hours. to. You, yeah, you don't fucking overbook. No. Oh. Yeah, I have my guitar, everything. Anyways, I'm talking to Sam, and we we were talking just about music and and where it's at. And the thing is, is like you can predict what's happening in this way, where TikTok is essentially in my opinion, is uh, is doing so well because it just took everything that was doing well on social media and it condensed it. And as the world continues to, as our attention spans condense, so too does the social media and, and the things we consume become shorter, more rapid. Um, they're just fighting, you know, no one's watching your like one minute long explanation of your day. They want a 15 second like quick reel, right? Like at least Totally, and, and and so the question is: Does it just keep shrinking down until like like at what point mm. do people do <laughs> a thing where they say, "Oh, I need to like go watch a someone play guitar or something"? Like you know, like I have a I have a line in our our song "Lemon Trees," like someone play guitar for me. I'm ready to leave my body. Like it's it's just this idea of like you get so sucked in to your phone or to the this like this sort of doom culture that I'm not saying is, is not real. There's a lot to, to be afraid of in the world right now, but we're here. Like, and until we die, we're here, right? So let's make the best of it. And I think music is, has always been an escape for people. And I think it's really easy to escape into a thing where you feel like you're watching something natural happen. Um, do you really wear a pair of sunglasses that you dropped in the toilet? Hey, you really pulled these. Um, Why would you do that? Why would you put that on your face? I I think they're these. Honestly, I th I think they're they're these sunglasses. So you dropped them in the toilet, and did you actually go to the bathroom on them? I don't think he peed on them. No. He was like, you know what? I'll take them out now. I don't know. Yeah. Um. Oh no, you no. You were in the act of urinating. Yeah. So I started to be like, I don't think I peed on them, but no, you did. I think I did. <laughs> what? I think I peed on. Them. And then you pulled them out? The you just fuck? Here's the thing. I have no excuses, but I'll say this. I don't wear sunglasses very often, but when I do, they're the ones I pee on. <laughs> <laughs> so you're literally at a truck stop. You're going to the bathroom. You're yeah. urinating, doing your business. And I guess you're looking down at what you got, and your glasses fall off your face. That's right. And they fall right in the toilet. Do you, I mean, I'm I, res I respect that. So mm -hmm. you, you keep going, but do you? Th how do you get them out? Um, oh jeez, this was a while ago. I think I just reach in and grab the grab the suckers, but <laughs> I re I do remember, <laughs> I do remember like, you know, the conundrum. I we were in a van at the time. This is like a big pull. Like, how many years did you pull this from social media or something? It's a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Because like I'm 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 straining genuinely. It's embarrassing, but I am also straining to remember exactly how it went down. But I. I think what happened was peeing, sunglasses go in. I am touring in a van, which, you know, we're talking about the difficulties of, of touring and trying to sell tickets and everything like that. We were doing really well. And by the way, like I should say, I think Mountjoy is doing really, really well. Um, and we're also wondering why, like, right? Like we're asking these same questions to ourselves. But at the time, we're touring in a van and, um, 
not making lots of money. Things are going well, but like I have these pair of sunglasses, which I've had for years and they're Ray-Bans. I probably spent like a hundred plus bucks on these. Mm -hmm. And so these are as good as like an engagement ring <laughs> at the time. I'm like, I can't let go of these. Like this, I like, it's my pee at the end of the day. Yeah. You know what it, you, yeah, yeah. You know it's where it's coming from. So obviously I, I, I remember pulling them out. I washed them a bunch in like a literal truck stop you know, soap and water, the whole thing. And I remember coming back to the van and, you know, everyone's like sitting there and I'm obviously I have a funny story to tell. So I, I tell the story and I do remember there was like a pretty split decision as to whether like I could possibly ever put them on my face again. <laughs> but here we are years later, the, you know, the story is uh, history, I guess, history. I don't know what those expressions You said it was a true comeback story and the fact that like it's, it's prevailed this <laughs> This this long, you still wear them today. I can't believe I'm in the presence of them. Yeah, you really are. I mean, this is the truest of true comebacks. I've stories. never, you know, what's really funny about that? I forgot that I did that. And the other the other day, um, <laughs> oh, these sunglasses are kind of jacked up. Obviously, they've been in a toilet full of piss. <laughs> but uh, but um, but uh, I've never owned a pair of sunglasses as long as this. You know, like usually you pay for sunglasses and you, you lose sit them. on them or you yeah. put them in a toilet or whatever. But um. These ones have, I guess that's a special relationship, right? Like, uh, maybe I'll have these the rest of my life now that I think about it. I actually hope you do. Yeah. Even if you retire them at a certain point and you just, they're more to look at, you know? For sure. They're more to look at. What are you thinking over there? So the newest album, why did you guys call it Orange Blood? Because I keep confusing it with Blood Orange. <laughs> yeah, you're not the only one. <laughs> um, you know, we have a song called Lemon Tree, there's Orange Blood, like it's, when we were like rolling stuff out, people would be like, Oh, I just, I just love orange tree. And like, everyone was getting all twisted up. Um, you know, I basically, I lived in LA for like five years. Um, really just moved at the top of the pandemic. I, and on the way out was writing this record. And on the way out, I was stopped in Joshua tree, did the whole thing. Written in Joshua tree though, produced in Philadelphia. Um, so I, I sort of was writing a lot at the time. So I, I, some of it's written, some of it's actually made in LA, uh, but after the fact. So I, I, I go to Joshua Tree. Um, I don't even know if I had my guitar with me at the time, but you know, you're just sort of like always making voice notes and, and thinking about, it's easy for me as a writer to start with sort of like just a really broad concept and then you can sort of just flow from there. I find it hard to just like sit down and be like, I'm a believer, you know, whatever. I don't know. Like, I don't know. What was that? I don't know. <laughs> and then I saw her face. Yeah, I think I just did that. But, uh, yeah, I've never written that song by accident. But, um, so I, I have this general idea, but sorry, Orange Blood was, I was in Joshua Tree and tripping a little bit. And, you know, you just get really, um, and I've, I've since heard that this is actually like a, a thing that happens in your brain when you hallucinate, um, with, mushrooms is like it it centers you to like the earth like to the to your mm. surroundings and like everything we're talking about right like at the end of the day is like this super silly distraction against this larger cosmic event of which we're all a part of as well and when you're in joshua tree and on shrooms you get super connected to that larger cosmic event and and you start i started like really getting interested in the stars in the way that they move across the sky at night and you know, no phone and just tripping and watching the stars and watching the moon dance across the sky and everything like that. 
Um, and you realize like this orange blood thing is, is that we have this like internal struggle, our own blood, but then at the end of the day, like regardless of what the world is doing or the decay of society or government or um, ticket sales, whatever it is, like the sun just faithfully gets up each day and it does this incredible dance and the earth spins around like, and it truly is incredible. And I know I'm not breaking news. Um, and I think for, for me, it just centered this idea of like wanting to make a piece of art or, or a record and just the intention of that record to be like, to just give people this moment of um, almost meditation, right? Where it's like, where they're present in this music and they get to be outside of that micro um, life that they live in, right? And like, and just to, to have these reminders, whether it's meditation or music, whatever you use, you have to have something even if it's just interest in the solar system, you, you have to have something that allows you to realize that you're existing on so many planes, like you're existing in your relationship planes with people, you're existing in your relationship to the world and to your surroundings, and and then you're you're existing in your relationship to like music and, the, and these other things that you like and the things that you get derive joy from. Um, and so Orange Blood was just this idea that you know, the sun is also like the blood of the universe, mm -hmm. right? It, like it's this thing that keeps everything alive. And um, and I, I just, I thought about how music can be that too. Like it can be this like life force for people and um, yeah, sort of heady, but that, that was a, a trip thought. Do you craft lyrics or the story that you're going to tell in the song and then bring it to the band? Like what is the process like? Obviously you start writing, you go wide. Like once it's written or you have an idea, like at what point do you add instruments to that? Yeah. Um, typically, like at least on this last record, the process is like, excuse me, uh, write, a, write a, find a melody or chord progression that I really like and start building it out with voice notes and stuff like that. And then bring it to Sam, uh, who is, like I said, he's just really good at like, First of all, he's a good sort of like A and R, if you will, of like, eh. you know, I, I can kind of tell because I know him really well. Um, we've known each other for a long time. And it's like, you know, if you like show someone like a, I don't know if it's clothes or whatever, like shoes, whatever, you're like, yo, check these out. And the person's like, those are dope. But like the way they say dope. You just know. You're yeah. like, <laughs> you know, whatever it is. And he's, it, that's a good exchange. So it's like, I show it to Sam and if he lights up, I'm like, all right, let's keep digging at this. And then. Um, this last one, it's like once we get a little bit of a demo down, send it to the band, they add their parts, and they kind of fill it in and help us arrange, um, you know, bass and piano and, and drums. Um, and, yeah, that's that's typically how it's done. How do you know when it's finished? That's a great question. I think it's this um, – I think it's a, more of a feeling thing. You know, like we had the song Lemon Tree, which we, quote, unquote, finished like three different times and used a different – producer at one point came back to the original producer um and it's just a feeling thing you know because you have this um for anyone who creates any type of art i think it starts with a vision and then you get that you know you show sam or like you show your friend and you get that like they light up and so you feel this feeling of like this could be this has this ceiling right and it's it's a, an imaginary ceiling of course but you're like this could be something really great and it makes me feel something. And then when you listen back, there's that's a really difficult thing. I think any musician could tell you, like, 
from the original idea to hearing it back through speakers, there's a long journey. There's a lot of arranging. There's a lot of stuff where shit can just go wrong. Um, and I think you listen back and you want to feel that feeling. Like you want to zoom out of being involved in the band even and just be a fan of music, which we all are. And does it hit you? Like, does it do the right things? And and honestly, it's that's a hard thing, right? So like, that's rare. And, and those are the songs that make the record when you're like, wow, that like, made the hair on my arm stand up or whatever it is it's that feeling yeah why'd you end the album with a uh, bathroom light um because it seems like there's also a line on that song that stands out on the song and the album the one about uh because someday we must return the movies in our brain in these moments we can't fake yeah yeah i mean i think that that line um also just really loved the idea again of like i'm trying to make people realize their like greater importance to each other and also like to the world in a time where we're getting sucked into this like really toxic um relationship with things i think in general and, and just ending this record on tell your friends tell your ma that that you love who they are it just felt like everything i was ultimately trying to get out of this like just sort of like go easy on people you know like it's crazy out here but we're all doing this together and um and ultimately if you can take a breath whether it's from music or whatever and just be grateful for your surroundings and the people you surround yourself with like that's like the most i could ever hope for as a writer i need a reminder that everybody could use yeah by the way you got to listen to mount joy there's going to be a link in the description below listen listen to orange blood final thought daniel yeah you mentioned shrooms are shrooms and psychedelics like was that important to putting this album together did it have a big effect on it i think so only in the sense that like i really i had done shrooms like a handful of times and like acid too but I, I but in this way that was like I'm gonna like you know blast off and see something crazy like it lacked <laughs> intention and it wasn't until that Joshua Tree moment where I realized like you can have this really intentional um it matters the most yeah on psych with psychedelics yeah totally and I was also just like too young I think to really get that um when I was you know first experimenting with that stuff but yeah I think it did in the sense that it it helped to to build the intention of mm -hmm. of the record. Now, the one other song I wanted to ask about was a Johnson song. Mm. You didn't you didn't know that was a penis reference when you first wrote it? Oh man, that was like one of the <laughs> like roller coaster moments of my career as a writer was um yeah, so we have this joke, another inside joke with the band that's like something could be a Johnson, right? Like um there's just so many humbling moments being a touring in a touring band. Um and like you know for example we've had we had a show once where we showed up and like things are going great we sold a bunch of tickets and we're really excited and this and it was during the gas shortage or whatever that was mm -hmm. and so the security just like sort of decided collectively um not to show up so we don't have any security for a show and people are literally we're in the bus and we're like flagging cars to show where to park because this is like a drive-in type event so it's yeah like people have to park like in this field in north carolina and like the band is literally out flagging cars on this country road like that's a johnson <laughs> <laughs> sure is <laughs> yeah like and so we'd be like oh this is such a johnson like oh my god and it, and it just it started back in our van days and it like obviously was connected to a dick joke or euphemism back then but like it's six years in and like we i might be like 
hey, I'm thirsty. Can you, can you pass me that Johnson? <laughs> like, it's also, it's everything. It's just like a language for the band. So I wanted to make a song to celebrate that, like, just within the band and live. It's just fun for us. And I literally, like, the idea is, like, the chorus is dance away because a Johnson's coming. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, pause. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, the idea was like simple it was just a goofy song that was like you know like you know have have your fun and like be in the moment because you know like there's going to be a dip in the in the road like eventually so you got to live it up while you're here it was just a simple not trying to be too poetic type thing and we're in philadelphia recording it with caleb nelson who's an incredible producer um and he turns to me cut the vocal sounds great to me laughing having a good time he's like this song's just like a big like dick joke right (laughs) i'm like and he's like johnson's coming and i was like i literally stared at stared at the wall in the studio for like 10 seconds just did one of these where i was like i thought we had to scrap it like i was like oh it's like that's weird as hell like what, what even is that and then you know you realize like so much music is like is that and that and i was like you know what let's just celebrate it fuck it and you didn't do it on purpose oh not at all literally not at all i mean it's this long-standing inside joke and yeah hilarious totally organic totally natural yeah so i now like at shows and stuff i i i do tell that story a little bit because it's so funny (laughs) listen to johnson listen to mount joy link in the description below also see him on tour you guys start Mm -hmm. next week mazel tov hey thank you guys really appreciate you having me yeah, well, anytime. One other thing, you make a uh, Eagles tailgate reference on Cardinal. Yeah, sick. That's what I when I was listening, I was like, that's definitely what that paint the bus green is. Yeah, literally. Yeah, my my uh, been going to Eagles. I grew up in the Philly area, like I said, and been going to Eagles games. And uh, yeah, like me and a group of friends, including we have a, a mutual friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a part of that. We our family bought like a broke down school bus <laughs> and painted it green, and like somehow that thing is still alive. And yeah, we drive it down and, and park and eat hoagies, do the whole Philly thing. Yep. Yeah, Garner Minshew actually selling his mini, his selling his mini bus right now. I know. So if I'm, you guys need a new one, you know that's that's, that's probably the best idea I've heard today, honestly. <laughs> fly Eagles fly. That's yeah, what they that's say. It. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Listen to Mount Troy. Link in the description below. Appreciate you, man. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Hey, beautiful human, you made it through our conversation with Matt of Mount Joy. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. I really appreciate it. Now, please subscribe to our podcast, share it with those you care about, and let us know who you should invite on the show next. At Zach Sang Show on any form of social media. Now, be safe with your family if you can, and don't go to jail. Have a great day. I'll talk to you real soon. Today's show is hosted and executive produced by Zach Sang. He was also executive produced by Michael D. Ratner, Scott Ratner, Dylan Martyr, Dan Zolot, Joshua Russack, and Olivia Rudensky. Music by James Ashuto. Senior producer, Caitlin Plummer. Associate producer, Eve Bishop. Production sound mixing on today's show was done by Alex Goins, Nico Pierce, and Joseph Hartshorn. Sound mixing was done by Daniel Chavez-Crook and Ivan Wayman. Post-production manager was Caroline Rude. Production manager was Michelle Dorostock. And our production coordinator was Bryce Herless. And that was an episode of The Zach Sang Show. Talk to you soon.